right, fourth week, we're in Fresh Start, John chapter 20, in the first nine verses. Here we go. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John himself, by the way. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John 1. Did you see what I did right there? It's in John 1 and John 1. Okay, anyway. So, come on. Okay, maybe not. So, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived. And by the way, can you imagine how, how Peter arose? I mean, I mean, he got there. I mean, John's peeping in like, okay, this can't be good. You know, and Peter got there, <laughs> you know, he'd been running. I, I relate to that. <laughs> and then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside. I mean, he didn't even think about it. So Peter, to just go in there, you know. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. You know, one of the great honors in doing what I do is when you have the privilege to preach someone's funeral or memorial service. It's, it's an extraordinary honor. And, you know, I, I, one of the things that I'll say to people often is uh, if I'm preaching a funeral and a, a casket is sitting there, whether it's open, whether it's closed, whether it's an urn, wh whatever's going on right there, one of the great things is to be able to look at somebody who is a follower of Jesus and know they're not there. That, that's a box of bones or that is a jar of ashes. They're not there. And so what happens often is I, a family will be to my right, typically, or to my left, depending on the, on the room, and I'll, I'll walk kind of over to the side, and I'll look at this family in the eye who you can tell they're just broken and they're hurting, and, and this is sorrowful for them. And I'll have to look at them and say, I want to give you this word of encouragement. This, this dear person that you love, they're not there. That, that's a box. That's an urn. But they're not there. Because to be absent from this body as a believer is to be present with the Lord. And the, the scriptures teach us that it's not like they're going to hang out here while you get done with a funeral. It's not like they're just going to wait around a while and then once they're in the grave and the dirt's on, then God will take them. The scriptures say in a moment, in an instant, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so I can't tell you how many funeral services I've done where I, I, I've been there at the graveside service and the, 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 the pallbearers take that casket and they put it up on top of those bands over the, the vault that is six feet deep in the dirt. And you can see the mound of dirt and the funeral home has covered it up with the fake grass and, and everybody is sorrowful and mourning. And, and, and a funeral director typically will walk over and look to the person that, that is closest to the deceased and say, we're... We're going to finish this time of service, but I would encourage you, y'all go on home. 
get something to eat, get a rest, but come back later. And then when they come back later, that, that casket has already been lowered into the vault, and the top of that vault has been sealed on top of that casket, and then that dirt has been pushed around the vault, and it's been tamped down, and there's a still a mound of dirt. And when that loved one and those families come back, there are flowers laying over that mound of dirt, and they, they come by there, and they grieve. But what I try to remind them is this. If that person is a follower of Christ, if that person has chosen Christ, then they're not there. And if that person had not chosen Christ, let me tell you what I know they would say to you, whatever you do, don't miss heaven. You say, Chuck, that, that must be miserable half to doing funerals and being able to watch the families go through this. But I, I find it one of the greatest honors. There's nothing like preaching the funeral of someone who's gone on to be with the Lord. There's nothing like that. Walked into a family a week or so ago, and uh, she, th this daughter was crying, and she was, she was so upset. Her dad, who had been fighting for about eight years with, with a terminal disease, and I walked in, and I, I hugged her neck, and then I hugged his wife's neck, and I looked at his wife, and I said, I am so sorry for you, but I am so happy for him. He's done. I mean, he's got no more chemo. I mean, there are no more handicapped spaces. There are no more doctor visits. There's none of that junk left over. He won. He got it done. He's there. And as for me, let's go. And you know, to be able to say that to a family and to know that this is the most significant thing that happened. Well, Jesus, his family, and his friends, they were sorrowful. Everything that they had put in their future was banked on Jesus, who they had just watched die. They had watched the life live, leave him. They had watched the blood leave his side and his hands and his feet. They had watched as that crown of thorns had been pressed down on his head. They watched as he was taken off of that old wooden cross. They went to the tomb. They saw him wrapped up. They saw him placed in there. They saw that rock pushed over the door in the garden tomb. They knew he was dead, doorknob dead. And of course they were grieving. And as Mary goes back the next morning, as if she were coming over here to Sugar Hill Cemetery and she looked and the, the dirt had been moved and the top of the vault had been displaced and the casket had been pulled up and the opening of the casket had flung open and there was little dirt inside of what had a beautiful white cloth, but there was no bones, no body in there. And Mary did what any normal sane person would do. She ran. I mean, you would too, would you not? I mean, if you showed up and then your loved one who you knew was doorknob dead had been there just less than 20, 24 hours ago, and in her case, three days, she goes and thinks, this isn't good, and she hauls off and starts running. And she runs to go see the boys. She sees Peter, and she, she sees John. When she tells them, they start running. Clearly, John is more fit than Peter. Because as they're running, he beat him there. But when he got there, he peeked in. He didn't go on in. And can you imagine what John is thinking as he looks in there? Whoa, boy. This is going to be a hard one to explain. And about that time, sure enough, Peter shows up looking for oxygen, and he just runs straight in. And can you imagine Peter, this guy is kind of ready, fire, aim kind of guy. He starts grabbing the cloths, and he says, you know what? I don't think he's here. And my guess is the reason Peter ran on in was he needed to sit down. I mean, he had shuffled a lot to get there where he needed to be. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. What are you running to? 
I mean, are you running to a job? Are you running to a gym? Are you running to a bank? You run into a ballpark? What are you running to? Mary saw that there was something going on. Who's the last person you ran to to say the grave is empty? Who's the last person you ran to to say, wait a minute, Jesus did what he said he was going to do? Who's the last person you ran to to say, wait a minute, everything he promised is being fulfilled? And by the way, when you heard that or when life was difficult, where did you run? John and Peter heard, wait a minute, this is not good. He's gone. We don't know where he's at. And what did they do? They ran to the empty tomb. Listen to me, friend. When life grabs you and is beating you up, when it seems as though there's nowhere to go, start running, but don't run away. Run to the empty tomb. It's still empty. I've been there. I've walked in it. It's still empty. And by the way, there are no more burial claws because they're not necessary. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so when they ran, they got there. And you know what the scripture says in verse 8? They saw and they believed. What did they see? They saw that there was nobody left. What did they believe? That Jesus was the Son of God. They saw that it was empty. What did they believe? That Jesus had risen from the dead. They came and they saw. And what did they believe? They believed that Jesus did everything he said he would do. What did they believe? He has returned for me. He has returned for us. What would it take to get you off of your proverbial sofa and run? What would it take for you to run to Jesus? Well, Chuck, I'm going to wait until there's a very last chance. I'm going to do all that I want to do, and then I'm going to run. Well, let me ask you something. Do you believe you control every day, every moment, every minute of your fate? Because if you do, the Bible has a word and says you're a fool. Because you don't control that. And Jesus says, you can run to me today. In John chapter 20, verse 9, at the very end of what we read, it says, For they still did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Now, if you're an underliner, circler, circle that word must. Because you could say, well, Jesus, as, as, as Zach was talking about, Jesus, all God, all man, did he have to die? Wasn't there a better way? Could he break his arm? Could he break his leg? Could he have a broken heart? Did he have to die? And the answer is yes, he had to die. Why? To beat the curse of death. See, here's the beautiful thing. If you are running to Jesus, when you arrive to him, he's already there, but he's not wrapped up in dead. There is not a dead savior that can save you. A live savior must save you. And he has risen from the dead to beat the curse of death. The saddest funerals in the world or when I sit with a family and a family says, I'm not sure if they ever knew Jesus. I'm not sure if they ever, ever attended church. I don't know where they were in their faith walk. And I have to say, come up with stuff to say at a funeral to say, well, you know what? what? What we know is this, what he would say, whether he's in heaven or if he's not, whatever you do, don't miss heaven. Friend, listen, if you're going to run, run to the place that can welcome you. Run to the place that has arms waiting for you. Run to the place where Jesus is Lord. Run to an empty tomb where he has risen from the dead. He broke the bonds of death on resurrection morning. We're going to celebrate that in just a few months. What are we going to celebrate? That Jesus came back from the dead for you. And you say, well, no, Chuck, wait a minute. Jesus came back from the dead for people that are better than me. No. Jesus came back from the dead for you. 
You say, well, well Chuck, did he come back for that dude over there? Yeah. What about her? Oh, yeah, especially for her. For, for my kid? Yeah. As big a goofball as he is? Yeah. He did. Absolutely did. There was a coal miner in the northeastern hills of Pennsylvania, and his job was to light a candle and go down into that mine to make sure it was safe for the miners. I mean, what a job, right? And he would light that candle and he would go down into that mine and he would walk as far as he could. And if that candle could stay lit, then there was enough oxygen in there and those miners could come down and work. But if that, if that candle started to flicker and go out, he would turn and run as hard as he could. And he would run to get outside because if he stayed there, he was going to die. There was enough gas in there that he could not escape. And so his job was to run down there and then he would come back up. And with the candle still burning, he would say, it's okay. <clears throat> it's safe. Come on down. But if he came up and that candle wasn't burning, he'd say, don't go down there. When you get down there, you can't breathe. You can't live when you're down there. Listen to me, friend. This is what Jesus has done for us. Coming up out of the depths of death and grave, Jesus has announced to all who gather here on this life and on this earth, it's safe. It's okay. You can enter into death, into the darkness and the unknown. It's safe because I've been there. I've checked it out for you. I overcame it. I broke the curse. I have been there and the stronghold doesn't have to hold you because it couldn't hold me. No amen at all. Nothing. Is it possible that some of y'all are as dead as possible and what you need is to recognize that that empty tomb is for you? Or today, are we just here to say, Chuck, listen, just get your hour in. I got stuff to do today. And I would say to you, friend, listen, the greatest news on the planet that I can give you right now is that tomb is still empty for you. For you. Jesus had to rise from the dead to beat the curse of death. Jesus rose from the dead to give us the win, to give us the win. Last week, anybody watched the Saints and the Rams play? And that guy comes across and he clocks that guy a little early, you know? If you're a Saints fan a lot early, you know, if you're I hate the Saints fan, it's like right on time. And, but you know what happened? That might have given the Rams the win, but guess what? They still got to play. They still got to play. You know what's beautiful? Jesus came to give us a win, and when he gave us the win, nobody can take it away from us. You don't have to play again. I can't wait to get to heaven. The people I want to talk to, I can't wait to. I want to talk to Jonah. Dude, what was it like to live in the belly of a fish for three days? Come on now. That's a conversation right there, right? And you say, well, Chuck, how do you know he's in heaven? Well, you know, I'm pretty doggone sure, but if you're not sure, maybe you can ask him. He came to give us the win. Friend, listen, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it forever. A dead savior, a dead savior cannot save anybody. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is as much a part of the gospel as the story of his sacrificial death on the cross. He died for one purpose, that his blood might be shed, that he might be buried so that he could raise from the dead for you. That's why he came. That's why he died. And that's why he rose for you. Listen, because Jesus rose from the dead, we get the victory. I don't know about you, but I like to win. And I like to win big. I don't want to win and have to play again. I want to win forever. 
But knowing the outcome ought to calm our fears, folks. Knowing that the win is there, we ought, we ought to know this. We, we have history on our side. We have four or 500 people that witnessed the resurrection Jesus in person. We, we have scripture on our side. We have God on our side. We have a risen Christ on our side that come to beat the curse of death. It came to give us victory and to give us the win. And we have a risen Christ to give us hope and peace in the face of death. Listen, friend, if you walk out of here today and you know that Jesus is your Lord, there is nothing to fear about death. There is nothing to fear about what's ahead because Jesus says here is what's ahead of you that the moment you die in this place you are instantaneously in less than a nanosecond from where we are to where we will be and where we will be is where the resurrected Christ is going to prepare a place for all who believe that is what we've come to do Oh, listen, friend, over the course of time, thousands have believed. Then millions have believed. And because of the resurrection in time over the past 2,000 years and going on, entire governments and cultures and educational processes have been changed. Why? Because of the power of an empty tomb. Because of the power of the resurrection. My life was eternally changed through the power of the resurrection. How about you? The Savior of the world rose from the dead for me. The King of kings and the Lord of lords rose from the dead for you. Spiritually, we can be forgiven. Spiritually, we can know Jesus. Our life is renewed. Our hope is permanent and eternity can be secured. Friend, listen, during World War, II, World War I, there are a group of American soldiers huddled around, all of them wounded and dying, and in a pit, and in the mud, and the rain, and the, the smell and stench of death and war. And this one guy by the name of Donnie, who was from Philadelphia, he was laying there, and he, he's probably going to make it, but he's wounded. Next to him is his buddy, and his buddy Charles says, Donnie, you've already spent time in prison. Donnie, when you get home, there's a warrant for you. Donnie, when you get home, you're going back to jail. Donnie, I'm about to die. Take off your dog tags. Let me put mine on you. Here's my billfold. Give me your papers. And when you go back, you can take the life that I've had. Donnie, you get to start all over again. He did that very thing. He came home and he started his life. Friend, listen, that's what Jesus has done for you. He took off the dead dog tags of death and put it on you and said, you can live forever. I have taken your sin. My life has been sacrificed for your old life. Now I want to give you a new life. The question is, will you accept that offer? Well, Chuck, I, 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 I don't know. Well, listen to what Paul said. Paul said in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Chuck, I hate that word saved. I don't like that word saved. I heard it growing up as a kid. I don't want anybody telling me I need to be saved. Okay, let me put it another way for you, all right? Paul said, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, he'll keep you from hell and take you to heaven. Is that good enough? Because in the middle of that, is the power of the resurrection. Now, there are a lot of people here. How many of you say, Chuck, I'm already a believer. I'm a Christian. I've known, I've known Jesus for a Raise your hand. I've known Jesus for so long. Yeah, okay, good. Put your hand down. Let me ask you a question. You just raise your hand. What are you running to? Well, I don't need to run to an empty, empty grave. Chuck, I mean, I'm good. I'm good for heaven. Where are you running? Well, Chuck, I don't run. I mean, clearly, I don't look like a runner. I'm not running. Okay, but... 
When life has beat you up, when life doesn't seem fair, when, when, when your marriage is falling apart, when your kid gets a bad diagnosis, when your parent's aging, when you're out of money, what, what, am, what are you going to run to? Hey, believer, look right here. If you think that running to the empty tomb is only for people that don't know Jesus yet, you have forgotten the power of the resurrected Jesus. And you need to start running. And you need to get there and you need to run there as hard and fast as you can because that resurrected Jesus cares about you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. That resurrected Jesus cares when you wake up late at 9 and 30 on Wednesday morning. That Jesus cares when your boss says you ain't getting it done. That Jesus cares when the doctor says you got cancer. That Jesus cares when your spouse says I don't love you anymore. That Jesus cares because he rose from the dead to take care of you. What are you running to? You say, well, Chuck, I don't know where to run. I'm not a runner. Let me help you out. Because I believe you can run and you can run wildly. I believe you can run straight to that weekday podcast and learn the scriptures. I believe when you let God's word get saturated into you, he does supernatural work with that word in your life. And you say, well, Chuck, but I want to do stuff. Good. Then push play. (laughs) Well, I don't want everybody to know I'm listening to Jesus stuff. You know, they make things that go in your ears. You can use them. They, they work pretty cool. Now, you could be like me. I got a pair of big white beats. They're like this big. I mean, seriously, I look like Minnie Mouse when I'm shuffling around my neighborhood. Well, I'm a big Minnie Mouse, but I want you to learn the scriptures. Run to the scriptures. But I I want you to listen to the Lord. I want you to run to the resurrected Jesus. I want you to grab that weekday meditation. I got a text this week from a lady who said she was shopping down at the mall. And when she was shopping there at the mall, the clerk was so bent out of shape. She had a bad day, a bad problem. She, she's totally emotional. And my friend said, listen, I want you to listen to something. She opened up her phone and said, I want to share this weekday, this weekday meditation with you. This is what you need, some peace in your life. And then I, I, I want you to lean into these groups and get into a small group where the scriptures can start taking place in your life and you can be accountable and you can grow in Christ. You say, well, Chuck, wait a minute. So step number one, if you don't know Jesus from apple butter, here's the deal. Run to Jesus that you might give him your life and you might be sure for heaven. When I preach your funeral, you know what I want to be able to say? I guarantee you they're not there. They're in, they're in heaven. Secondly, if you're here and you've already given your life to Christ, I want you to run into that empty tomb. I want you to see that he is gone. I want you to know that it's still empty. And I want you to know that you can learn, you can listen, and you can lean into the presence and the power of Jesus and day by day by day grow to become more like him because he didn't raise for you to do nothing. Jesus didn't conquer death for you to sit on your hind parts and do nothing. Jesus did not return so that you could do anything except just show up at 11 o'clock, possibly sing one or two songs, act like you're halfway spiritual alive, go out there and fake it for the next six days. He didn't ask you to do that. He rose from the dead that you could have the power of the resurrected Christ and you could live with power in the resurrected Christ. Then why don't you learn and listen and lean into the power and the presence of the resurrected Christ so you could live with his resurrection power when it matters, where you are, everywhere you go, every moment, every day. Why in heaven? heaven's name, would you not say yes to that? Amen. Let's pray. God, today, I pray we would grab hold of resurrection power. I believe there are folks here today who would say, Chuck, 
Maybe for the first time I want to settle in my heart. Jesus is Lord. Then, friend, it's as simple as what Paul wrote. I say, Jesus, I believe you're my Lord. I want you to be my Lord. And I believe you rose from the dead. Friend, it's really that simple. And then it could be that you're here today and Jesus has been a long-distance relationship with many of you. You know him as Lord, but you haven't walked with him in months or years. you got to run to an empty tomb and claim resurrection power in your life today. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to the Lord's table, which represents his broken body and his shed blood that you might learn, you might listen, you might lean into Jesus. So, Lord, as we prepare to take your supper, God, would you speak into our lives your resurrection power? God, as we remember your broken body, as we remember your shed blood, may we claim your resurrection power. Lord, for every person today who would say, Chuck, I want in on that prayer. I want Jesus. God, give them the courage to follow you now in believer's baptism and to walk with you and run to the tomb and find strength and power and hope and peace. So at this time of remembrance, we praise you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Just start marking your way. We have tables across the front, across the middle, across the back. And as you come, you just take the stack of two cups. The top cup is the fruit of the vine, and the bottom cup is the bread. And while it's small, it's, it is a picture. Matthew writes in his gospel in chapter 26, he says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I can't imagine Matthew thinking that it would be a good idea to have gluten-free bread at the time, but, but we did. And if your body needs that and requires that, please feel comfortable to come get this middle uh, plate here that has gluten-free bread. Paul wrote over in 1 Corinthians, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you would take this bread, let's bless it. Lord, we, we thank you that in this time, what you commanded us to do was to remember you. So God, I pray that we will remember you as our Lord, our Savior, because we can remember what you've done and we can experience what you're doing. Lord, I am grateful that this representation of your broken body doesn't represent that it remained broken but it but it returned so lord bless us as we remember your broken body and as we eat this now the scriptures say he took the cup and he reminded them that 
it was a picture. He took the wine and he reminded them that this wine was simply a picture of what was about to happen, that his blood would be shed, that there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And as he shed this blood, it was for the forgiveness of sin, past, present, future. And as you look at this cup, I want you to know the color of this cup. This is royal. The king came and gave his life for you. The king came and shed his blood for you. And he said, this is my blood. And as often as you drink this, remember me. Let's sing, Zach. Sweet Jesus Christ, my sanity. Amen. Sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. that's what he does let the resurrected Jesus the king of kings let him go within you and bring you peace and joy fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved man when the world is beating you up and Satan is screaming in your ear 
hop on the bended knees in the back of Jesus and wrap your arms around his neck and hold on for dear life as he runs through the middle of your problem only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you. And when you look at your Savior eyeball to eyeball, make sure you hear him say loud and clear, my child, say it with me, I love you. Man, I love y'all. God bless you. Go in peace.